announcements this morning. Uh, one of the ones that I really wanted to talk about this morning real quickly, and I don't know if there's any other updates, but we'll be receiving offerings for the family of Jason Bush to help with the expenses that they're incurring with Jason's accident um, from last week that he had the eye surgery for. Offerings can be placed in the offering boxes um, in the church sanctuary right here if you want them. Um, in the offering, do we want anybody to delineate the memo line or anything like that? Pastor Steve, anybody? Just that it goes to Jason, the benefit? Okay. Yeah, just make sure you note somewhere on a check if you want that or in an envelope noting to um, Jason Bush and the family there. And thank you for all the giving and the help that's been done so far. Lots of prayers to the family. I'm hearing things are still going okay, Julie, that we know of? Okay. Getting better. Good. Good, good, good. Don't forget we have nursery available. We just dismissed the kids too for Children's Church. Wednesday mornings, don't forget about Touch Point with Pastor Stephen Joyce. The title of this next week's uh, lesson is God's Wisdom for Today. That's a part three of that series. Also on 6 p.m. Um, on Wednesday nights, we have Amplify Youth Group. No kids activities as of yet. Um, does this mean no men's group, but that there is men's group? Perfect. Just double checking. I'm just looking at the sequence of writings here. Upcoming events. Again, uh, Mondays at 6 p.m., Women's Bible Study at the Church. Talk to Joanne Pomp for uh, Pomp for, uh, for more details. Oh, the one here, if you got the announcements, it's a little bit lengthy here, but I have a little summary of what's going on in the back there. Susan Pender is with us. Susan is right there and uh, is on the a Glow Transformation Ministry team uh, to Point Hope, Alaska, June 23rd and third through the 30th. Donations are welcome for any VBS supplies, so they're doing vacation Bible school and they need some help. Visit the Welcome Center after church, uh, the desk after the service, and Susan will be there. You can give donations in cash or check directly to Susan Pender and talk to her for more details. Thank you for all the service. It's going to be a wonderful event. Those things get me going, working with youth and, and getting excited for Jesus. Um, let's see if there's another one that I want to make sure that we put on here. Oh, the Ukrainian uh, refugee program. We have July 1st, 2023. Love Cradle International is putting on a silent auction and dessert uh, and a dessert evening taste to, of Ukraine to support the Ukrainian refugee program. They need your help. Please consider to volunteer if you can to be part of the team. Your help is very much appreciated. Contact Irina uh, Yogoniki. Yago, how do you say the name? Do we know Yagoniki. It's pretty close. Numbers in there if you want to check it out. More details. Love trying to figure out names on the fly. I'll learn to rehearse these a little bit better next time. Uh, so on to this morning's offering and giving. As you heard just a little bit ago, I've been God just revealed me revealed to me more uh, about Jesus's mission to describe our role while we're here. Jesus's understanding of our relationship with Him and what and how important it is that we know that we are set aside that we are. There's something special about us, and people need to see that, right? People need to see that. So if you'd like to turn with me to Luke chapter 6, you sure can. Briefly go through a statement here. Actually, it's, it's the part on the love your enemies portion, and I wanted to see if you can apply this kind of like I was looking at it. Love your enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have done unto you. Have them do unto you. If you love those who love you, what credit is for you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend those, lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be the children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's interesting. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And then if you notice, he goes right on to a next section about judging others. So is this statement about being or loving your neighbors or loving your enemies about you being better than everybody else? No, it's not. He goes right into it. Don't judge anybody else. You don't have the authority. That's me. That's, I can do that. Nobody else can. Right? But what he's saying is that you are set apart. Right? You are set apart. You are the one that can make those choices because you have the backing and the love of Jesus Christ behind you, right? But right at the very end of that statement, you have a merciful Father. You have a merciful Father, and He asks us to do the same. Have mercy for other people. I also think this is akin to the statement that happens later on in chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep, right? Now, God's not, just Jesus isn't really saying necessarily that all your enemies are non-Christians, right? Because just because they might be my enemy doesn't mean they're his enemy, right? But there is that connection. If we are set apart, we are made known in public. We are made known everywhere that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. There's something different about us that can bring our enemies, bring other people to him, right? There's something different. So that when we give, when we give with a genuine heart, when we give with a heart full of love for others, no matter what they've done to you, that shows them that you are set apart, that you are precious in God's eyes, that there's something different about you. And may, hey, you know what? Maybe I need to ask, what's different about you? Why are you treating me so kindly when I was so rude to you? Why are you treating me so, with so much love and, and, I, and I showed you so much hate, right? God wants to see more people come to him. So in your giving, in your acting like Christ, in your acting like God, your pursuit to do the right thing, people will see that and grow closer to God. And that's the true, the true benefit, the true blessing at the very end, isn't it? Bringing more people to know him and then to make him known as a result. So this morning, let's bow our heads in prayer and pray that that happens with our offerings this morning. Father, we pray over this morning's offering that it can be used to further you, further your gospel, to make it known that someone here, that we are different, that we are not of the world, that we are of you, Father, to make it known that there is a reason that we can respond with love. There is a reason that we can respond with a pure heart and a genuine heart of giving so that others can see you through us, Father, because you are all that matters. 
We ask this in your name, your blessed name. Amen. day thank you for this time together and we just ask that you just speak through us that we would be able to share what is on your heart today in jesus name amen yeah um good morning everybody good to be with you all um try not to be too distracted here watch him looking at our <laughs> You notice the, the cries just as we were leaving. Oh, that's great. Okay. That's, so we'll, we'll try to stay focused this morning. Um, I wanted to share something really quick before we started. Um, and I think this is just something good to think about whenever we uh, meet together and we come into a message. It's what is our, our position as listeners, right? As we're ever coming to really just whenever we're coming to the word of, of God, right? What is our position? Um, and I think sometimes we, we think we know more than we do, <laughs> uh, and this is probably more prevalent for me than maybe all the rest of you, because I often think that I know everything, so, <laughs> as, as Linnea can attest, so, um, <laughs> um, anyway, I, quick story. This morning, I was on a bike ride. Uh, I've taken up biking recently to, for exercise, whatever, it's not important. I'm on a bike ride this morning. It's about seven or eight o'clock, and uh, somebody, there's a, a person pulling out into the road, and as they're, they're coming rather quick, so I don't have a whole lot of time, there's, you know, the, um, up on Gull Lake Loop here, and you can imagine there's a lot of trees, and if someone's kind of just pulling out of a driveway, uh, there's not a lot of time as a biker to react, and maybe not a lot of time for that car to react. Now, uh, if you're a driver and you're coming up to a road, uh, what is it you're supposed to do when you're, when you're coming up to a road? Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Stop. Stop and, stop and look both ways, right? Now, this, this individual, God bless them, <laughs> they, they, were, they must have been in a, a little bit more of a hurry this morning because they decided uh, to look just, just one way, not the way I was in, and to just pull the other way that they were going. Usually I try to look the way I'm going, maybe, but uh, so that's where I was, and so I had to ooh, swerve to make sure not to, um, you know, get run over this morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time Nea's hearing this story, so I thought that'd be kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the point is, is uh, sometimes we have uh, blind spots, don't we? Sometimes we we're get used to uh, something, like driving a car, where we're used to every morning. I, I come out at 8 in the morning, and there's never anybody there. I just pull out, you know? You're just used to certain things, and sometimes we, we miss things, and that sometimes the things we miss are important, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and this uh, I say with, in, with all hypocrisy, my, my wife will know that I am famous for not always uh, stopping completely, looking both ways. I am, you know, I gotta get going. So this is, this is for all of us, right? To always be listening. <laughs> so anyway. And stop, stop at those stop signs. That's, that's good too. That's a lesson. Oh, okay. So... Our, the title of our message this morning, um, you want to help me with that, is, uh, I guess we call it a, a choice between two trees. Uh, maybe you, if you know your Bible, you can probably see what story I'd be kind of heading into. Uh, 
And one of my favorite stories, really, of the Bible is the first story um, that is told. I think it sets up a lot of great principles, a lot of great ideas about who God is, what he's like, and what our relationship to him is, uh, which is part of just what our message is this morning. And I want to just, um, I won't go through the whole story. You can read it for yourself, but I just want to note a few things that I've um, found helpful for the last couple of years. I've, I've really been mulling over this story, uh, and maybe I've, I don't know, maybe I've talked about some of these things before here. Um, if so, great. Uh, I guess I don't remember, but um, in the beginning, <laughs> right, uh, we, we have the God of the universe, and we see what the God of the universe is doing is he is creating something. And in particular, he, it says that he is planting a garden. And if any of us here have ever, you know, worked in gardens before, we know that that's not just some distant, uh, impersonal thing, that planting a garden is a very uh, messy, personal um, labor of love, right? Uh, you're in the dirt. You're, you're, you're scooping out those little, those little pockets, right? You're placing the seeds in. You're watching them, those plants grow. You're nourishing them. You're weeding them. You're watering them. Um, planting the... Seeing God planting a garden, I think, really opens up this idea of what God is like. And especially, we're told uh, in chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, in verse 9, we say, Out of the, grow, the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight, and it is good for the food. And in the middle, it said, of this garden was the tree of life. Um, God is a God who is interested in making things grow and interested in bringing things to flourishion, to life, to fullness. Um, and when God does this, he has some options. He could live in the lavishness of his creation, right? I made this, this is mine, this is my stuff, and now I, I'm going to live here. This is just me by myself. But God doesn't do that, even though he certainly could. He's full, all in of himself. He's not lonely in any way or shape or form. Uh, he decides that he's going to make something. It says he creates uh, an image of himself, a representation, <laughs> something. And that word image, that word representation, it, it means everything it sounds like it means. It says, if you want to know what I am like, look at the thing that I made to be like me. And that thing, that representation, it said, you know, you look at it and it's humanity, man and woman together living in this place. And he sets them up so that they too can be like him. He is interested in making things live and grow and flourish. And he says, go, go forth, multiply, flourish, um, be interested in life and goodness and fullness. And it says they're tending to the garden and, and following in the footsteps of their father God and tending to the garden that he planted. Um, and what we're told about, there's this beautiful picture right at the end. After he's created humanity, he's placed them in this beautiful garden. Um, there's a picture of what uh, I think this fullness of life really looks like. And the verse I'm going to pick here might, might surprise you. I'm trying not to, uh, to blush here. But in verse 25, it says that this man and this woman that are brought into this garden, that they were naked and that they were unashamed. Now, you might be saying, oh, Peter, are you suggesting, you know, what are you suggesting here, man? I'm keeping my clothes on and I, please, please do. 
Uh, we appreciate that here at Ten Strike Community Church. <laughs> um, why is this verse here? Um, what I've come to the realization of is this, this picture of a man and a woman together in this way is a picture of, of unity and really full trust, isn't it? Um, that they, this idea that they are naked and unashamed, that they are man and wife together, there, there's nothing hidden from one another, is there? There's nothing separating them. They are fully trusting each other, loving each other. They are open to the fullness of what God has for them in this world, right? Um, what we're told next is that there's another tree, isn't there, though? So we get this beautiful picture, right? Fullness of God, life everlasting, beautiful, tree of life. Uh, but there's another tree in this garden. Um, we're told in, again, that verse 9, that there's a choice that humanity has. They have this tree of life on one hand. There's another tree. Now, it would be typical, right? It would be obvious, right, if we, we said, sometimes we even tell the story as if there was a tree of life and there was a tree of death on the other hand. But it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, it says that there was a tree of life but on the other side of the coin, there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, if you eat from this tree, then you will die. So in a sense, there's life on one hand, death on the other hand, but it's still, it's more complicated than that. Um, and so the question becomes, why does, what is this tree? This tree of knowledge of good and evil, why does it bring death? And try to be quick here, but... Uh, in essence, um, we might notice that uh, the word isn't just, it's not just a tree of bad, right? It's a tree of good and evil. And that those words there, they're actually very neutral words. Um, sometimes we hear the word evil and it brings up a lot of uh, concepts of, of moral badness. But that word there, it's, it's just the words there are tov, good, and ra, which means bad and sometimes evil. Um, but it can be a whole range of things. Um, one, in one instance, several instances in the Bible, it just means like ugly or like bad looking, <laughs> which doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as evil, does it? Um, and so this idea of good and bad, it's actually a full statement. Oftentimes these words appear right next to each other, kind of like salt and pepper, right? Um, fire and water, right? These ideas are there, they're opposites, uh, but they're also a complete image of something. And it's not just a tree of good and evil, is it? It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this is actually not a tree of good and evil at all. It's a tree of knowledge. Um, isn't the tree, isn't knowledge of good and evil a good thing to have, don't you think? Wouldn't you want your humanity, these people who are supposed to represent who you are, to know that kind of thing? Later in the chapter, uh, later in chapter three, we're going to see um, another word used for this, um, when Eve is looking at the tree and she's think, contemplating taking a fruit down, she recognizes that it is good to eat, and she recognizes that it is desirable to make one wise. Um, and that's a word that actually, that, that's what that means, isn't it? To know the difference between good and evil is to be wise, to have wisdom. And we know that wisdom isn't a bad thing at all, is it? There's there whole books in the Bible we call wisdom literature, where God is developing and teaching us how to know what is good and what is bad, how to deal with one another, what it means to be what we were created to be. So what is actually going on in this, 
the story. And I think it reveals itself when we see what actually prompts humanity to eat from this tree. Um, we see that there is another voice in this garden, isn't it there? Uh, there's another teacher, so to speak. Um, someone who's trying to teach humanity another way to think about things. Uh, and this is the voice of that, that serpent who rests, who happens to just be sitting around in that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and what this serpent has to say for himself uh, is he just asks questions. He asks questions, right? And his questions are this. Um, has God really said what he said he said? He says, well, surely, uh, if you eat from this tree, you probably, you won't die. You'll actually be like, like God himself. Now, we recognize the problem with that statement is that God already made them like himself. He's already made his image and said, you, you represent me on this earth. So this tantalizing voice that says, you have to do something. You have to reach out and take something to receive what you already have. You have to go outside of what God has already made for you and somehow do uh, reach for something yourself. And so I would like to propose that the initial sin of humanity isn't necessarily just the eating of the fruit. It is the reaching out and the taking of it. It is listening to that lying voice that says, you need to take wisdom for yourself to, do, to recognize good and evil on your own terms. That is what happens here. Uh, and I think that that speaks true, because as I said before, that picture of humanity is they're together, they're naked, they're unashamed. That's this perfect picture of unity and trust. And what's the first thing that they do when they eat the fruit? It says they, they don't start murdering each other, they don't start stealing, or any other thing that we would see as some sort of moral evil. The first thing that they do is they cover themselves, right? And it even says in, in verse, uh, verse 10, uh, that when they hear God coming, they cover themselves and they hide because they were afraid. Fear <laughs> starts motivating them. The wisdom that they gain, the, what they think is wise, is to be afraid, to mistrust one another. And that makes sense, doesn't it? When we start taking what we think is good and evil for ourselves, when we start developing ideas of what we think um, for ourselves, what is good and bad, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have wisdom. But when we start developing wisdom for ourselves, suddenly I'm not so sure that your version of wisdom is the same as my version of wisdom. And we start seeing each other in different ways, don't we? We start having to mistrust each other and hide ourselves from each other. We can't be in unity anymore. And there's brokenness rather than wholeness and fullness. And so that, I think, is, is a, a pretty hopefully a pretty quick overview, this, this idea of this initial choice that humanity is given. We get this choice. Do we take for ourselves or do we receive from God's tree of life? So good. And just with thinking about that, like when we live life today, I think sometimes we do we do have that choice not just sometimes like with our whole life with everyday moments we have that choice and so my question for you would be which tree are you eating from and I feel like that is a complex question because I think as Christians we oftentimes because wisdom is so good because it comes from God 
we often make our walk with God about deciphering the difference between good and evil, being able to balance that for ourselves and for other people, judging other people, whether they're good or evil. And so we live our life in a way that we don't even realize what we're doing is eating from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Um, and so I would propose that God wants us to eat from the tree of life, <laughs> that everlasting life. And like we said, having the knowledge of good and evil is not a bad thing, but it must be within the context of eating from the tree of life, of having that intimacy, having that closeness with the Lord and that perspective. Then he is able to give us that clarity and we're able to see the truth, but not as a balance, not trying to weigh things out or trying to even use scripture to figure out, okay, so what's good, what's bad? It's not a bad thing to do that, but it's not life. It's not walking by the Spirit. Because when we walk by the Spirit and when we walk in that everlasting life, then those things become clear to us, not because it's knowledge, like head knowledge, but because we're experiencing those things in our lives and we're able to reflect that to people. Um, and I think we know, we hear oftentimes, so many times, it's not about the list of things you do. It's not about the rules and regulations. It's about relationship. We know that, and that's so good. But I think the way that we oftentimes view people <laughs> and we view ourselves is, how many good things did I do today? Or how many bad things? Oh, that one bad thing that person said to me overrides all the good things that were said to me. Or we tend to weigh those things. I like um, in Lauren Daigle's song that was sung today is, am I just the sum of every high and every low? And I think sometimes that's how we see ourselves and we see other people is just calculating how good they really are. Or even if we're saying, okay, maybe we receive the grace and forgiveness of the Lord, but we still can see through a perspective of how good are you at receiving God's love today? <laughs> how good are you at um, eating from the tree of life? Because that's what I can tend to do. I can tend to say, okay, I need to eat from the tree of life. I need to receive his life. But then I start bringing condemnation on myself for not doing that good enough. And so my heart and our heart to share with you today is life is in Jesus. And we know that, and that seems like such a simple phrase, but it's not Jesus plus being good enough at receiving Jesus. It's not Jesus plus just spending X amount of time with the Lord. It's Jesus. And we, when we can really just let go and receive 
then we can understand that that life flows through us. And if we are experiencing anything in life where we don't feel like the life of God is just like flowing through us, then that might be some areas where we are trying to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil or trying to figure something out or trying to just get wisdom so that we can just go about our day. But just receive and allow the Lord to guide you into those things, to give those things to you. We don't know this because it doesn't tell us this explicitly in Scripture, but because... The knowledge of tree and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because that knowledge is good, because it is something that God has Himself, it could be that eventually He would have shared that with them, shared that with Adam and Eve. We don't know that, but it could be that maybe they were in a place like children where they weren't ready to receive that. They weren't ready to receive that outside of the context of relationship with him. He wanted to be the one to reveal that to them, to share that with them. And we don't know that for sure, but it kind of seems within the character of God to reveal his heart to us and to humanity in the way that gives the most life. So when we think about life, what I was thinking about in preparing for this message is like a, like a butterfly or like a flower or something that blooms or freedom, something that is able to just fully be. And I think oftentimes when we if we ever are feeling compressed or depressed or controlled or manipulated or we're just put in a box, that's not life. That's not goodness. That's not um, the spirit flowing through us. So when we are able to like release and be and just unfold, that's life. That's the life of God in us. And so um, I think everything can be good and everything can be evil, essentially. Every person has the potential to do good and every person has the potential to do evil. So that's why it makes it so complicated because In a certain situation, something might be so good, but outside of the context of that situation, it's bad. Like there's, you can list so many different things about um, in scripture or just in life. Like Peter was mentioning nakedness. Like in marriage, that is such a good thing and so fulfilling But outside of that, it can cause a lot of destruction and perversion and hurt and pain. And so there are so many different things in life that it could be good or bad. And so that's why when we spend so much time eating from that tree, it can can bring confusion and um, disorientation when we're not receiving from the tree of life.
Um, so one of the key phrases I feel like <laughs> that causes us to eat from that tree is, did God really say? How many times in our life have we heard the whisper of the enemy, did God really say that you were forgiven? Did God really say that this decision would bring life for you? Did God really say that that was going to be hurtful to do to someone? Did God really, like, all these things, and we may not even consciously know that that's happening inside of our minds, but I feel like it's one of the strongest tactics of the enemy is to take what God said or take who God is, his character, and twist it to make us believe or have us latch onto or grab onto this belief that God isn't who he says he is, that he isn't good, that his character isn't to love us, and that we somehow are bigger than the love he has for us. We somehow are able to make decisions that go outside of the boundary of his love. But when we recognize and realize that his love is so much greater, so, like, it's limitless. There is no boundary that, did God really say, can't be a valid argument in our hearts. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I was thinking about um, is even just this word judgment and wisdom. Oh, I hear my baby crying. But anyways, I'm trying to stay focused. Um, so judgment and wisdom, we oftentimes look at those words, or judgment, and it's kind of a, a scary word. It's this word that like has a lot of negative connotation to it. But essentially, it's really just perceiving um, what's good and bad, making a judgment about something. And so when there was um, a specific situation that I was dealing with, and I was being judgmental, <laughs> and I felt like the Lord was sharing with me his heart of how he judges and what he was sharing with me is oftentimes when we judge, we look for the negative or we see these things in people that we don't like or that we're judging to say, okay, that is a reason that I need to stay at arm's length from that person. But what God does is he actually looks at us and he sees the gold in our hearts. He sees that mustard seed of faith. He sees that, that little part of us that trusts in him. Like if you think about Abraham, he had quite the um, journey and there's different parts in his walk with the Lord that you would seem say like, oh, I don't think he really trusted the Lord very much. But in Hebrews, it says, he had faith. 
and that God accounted his faith to him as righteousness. And so, and there's multiple other people that God looked at them and he saw that seed. He saw that little piece of them that was connected to his heart. And I'm not saying that God doesn't see the mess. He doesn't see the mistakes. But what he chooses to look at and judge by is, do they love me? Do they trust in me? Do I see that mustard seed of faith? And I think that that's so encouraging to me because we all, we all make mistakes. We all do things that are evil or bad. But when God is able to look through a perspective of life instead of weighing our goods and our bads, he's able to see that life and that life grows that seed becomes a tree, that tree bears fruit. And so when we're able to look into other people and see, see God in them, see Jesus in them, see those seeds of faith, when we speak life to that person and we, when we help them to see that in themselves, that grows that becomes a tree that bears fruit. But when we look at someone and we weigh them and balance the scale and say, oh, they've got some wrong beliefs or, oh, they don't agree with me or I don't agree with them or they really have some messed up things going on in their lives. That doesn't change anything. That doesn't bring life. That brings death. And so this whole perspective of eating from the tree of life and then giving that life, giving that to people, that's what God's called us to do. That's what he's put in our hearts, and that's what's going to grow and um, establish his kingdom here on earth. I'm like going off my notes a little bit. <laughs> um, in thinking about this stuff, I think I, I always try to go to um, my first thought whenever we're talking about things like this is to always to go to the person of Jesus himself and to look at those stories of who he was because I think he's supposed to be our revelation of what it looks like to be this, this new creation? What does it look like to, to eat from the tree of life in everything that you, you do? Um, and uh, I think we know that Jesus was more than just this happy-go-lucky hippie type of dude, right? He was, um, he was really standing in the face of, of larger systems, cultural systems, social systems, um, that were very much a part of, I think, of what we could call a knowledge of tree of good and evil type systems, where um, there are, in every system, we, we have systems here in America, we have cultural things in, in our little world, even in our own homes, we have little mini cultures and things that we just sort of assume, where we don't even have to think about it, 
where we just assume, well, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what, how we've always done things, and so that's just the way it is, right? Um, and Jesus often called those little things out sometimes, and there's lots of little instances of that, but um, for some reason, a story that kept coming to my mind when I was thinking about this, and maybe it's um, recent events in our own lives that uh, have, have, have made this maybe more real for me, um, but it's a story in Luke 18. It's a very short story. Uh, it starts in verse 15. It says uh, that they uh, brought into Jesus infants. And that word there means infants, child, children that you would hold in your, your arms. Uh, infants that they might, that he might touch them. Um, and when the disciples saw this, though, they rebuked the people for doing this. Um, which right there should, should tell us something about what kind of systems of right and wrong the disciples were working under. Um, there was apparently some idea in this culture that uh, a teacher, someone who would be held at a, a high esteem, someone that they even maybe even recognized on some level as the representation of God himself, wouldn't be interested in children. Wouldn't, in fact, would need to be kept at arm's length from children because children on some level represent something that is... Um, lesser than, lowly, something that we need to set to the margins of our society. Um, and so they, they rebuked them and said, this isn't the place for you. This isn't where you belong. Um, you need to go elsewhere, right? Uh, but Jesus has a different idea, right? He speaks back to that, that cultural idea of, of right and wrong. And he says this, he says, let these little children come to me and do not forbid them at all for such is actually the kingdom of God itself. Assuredly, I even say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You see what he does there? He's totally turning on the heads of the people standing there, their ideas of uh, what is right and wrong. And those ideas would have developed from a variety of cultural influences, right? And maybe if, you know, children are, are dirty, they're messy, they're, they're noisy, they're distracting, right? They, they don't belong in a place of, of, of learning, right, perhaps, is maybe the thought there. But Jesus has a different idea, and I think it comes from that fullness of life. He wants to bring in, to bring close, to have relationship, right? Um, I was going to maybe talk about this later, but I'll, I think it fits now, is... Um, You've heard our, our child crying <laughs> today. Um, and I, I think about my moments with, with Vela. Um, you know, it's middle of the night, and, and I have to change her, and it's, there's these things that you have to do for children, right? Uh, and there are moments where I have a choice of what I feel towards her, what I think about her as a person, Right? And sometimes it's, it's really easy, right? She's, she's smiling and she's, she's giggling and she's doing the things that babies do that we love. But babies also, they can, they can turn in a dive and do the things that are the most grating to us, right? And, <laughs> right in the face and, and right at the wrong time, right? Maybe you're, you're just about to speak in front of a large group of people and she decides to <laughs> cry in the background the whole time, right? Uh, so we have a choice of, of what what to think about that, right? And there's a part of me, you know, we all know that it's, it's not good that she's crying, right? That means that she is upset or that she um, isn't getting what she needs or that she's uncomfortable in some way. 
And I could view those moments as something that are, are bad, as something that's hurting me in some way. I could think of, I could fo focus and fixate on the way that it disturbed me, it disturbed my sleep, it disturbed this congregation, right? Oh, that baby was crying. How dare that baby, right? Uh, we, could, we could think that way, right? And with babies, I think it's, it's easier, right, to maybe say, well, what? wait a minute, babies... They can't, they're, they're, she's crying for, for a reason. She's crying for help. She's crying because she needs to be held close. She needs that relationship. She needs to be viewed through the eyes of life and love. And so I've been trying to make a practice, and this is uh, you know, a work in progress, I think. But when I, when I have those moments of crying, I, I try to remind myself of how God sees me, right? I try to remind myself of... Uh, the fact that she's no less my daughter in the moment that she's crying, <laughs> right? She's no less of this wonderful, beautiful baby in the moments where she is disturbing my sleep and she's having moments where she's doing things that I, I don't necessarily want her to do right at that moment, right? Uh, and I have a choice to love her in the same way, in the same amount, right? And to even, you know, so I've tried to make a practice of even just, you know, really basic stuff like smile, <laughs> You know, oh, you're crying. Oh, I'm sorry. Kiss your little head. You know, we're going to help you. We're going to figure it out. We're going to change that diaper. We're going we're gonna to get you fed. We're going to bounce you. We're going to do what it takes. Um, but I'm going to bring you in closer, in fact, in this moment, and rather than try to put you, push you away. Um, which is easy to say with babies, um, which is, it's less easy to say that kind of, to have that type of mindset with people, isn't it? <laughs> Um, and this isn't just a, like, I know this, it's easy to take a message like this and maybe think about it more abstractly about society, right? There's people out there who are doing things we don't like. They're, they're crying and they're red in the face. They're whining right in their faces, our faces, just like a baby. And we have a choice of what to think about these people. But this works on, on all levels, doesn't it? It works with our, our spouses, um, our friends, our family, our coworkers. Um, we have choices of what to, how to treat people and how to think about people, um, and we can come, I, I think it really comes down to that choice. Are we going to come from that mindset of, of correction? I have to try to stop the crying for the sake, of stop, of the sake of making myself feel better? Or am I going to love this person because they deserve the love of the Father and they deserve to know the fullness of life, right? So that one day she doesn't have to cry all the time like that. She'll know it because she was loved through it, I guess, perhaps. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. And yeah, like Peter said, I think even um, which we've only experienced the very short little baby phase, but my prayer is that we continue to have patience with her and continue to view her from a lens of we love you and we want you represent life and new life to us and um, that that will continue even when she does know better she does know how to ask and she still is having a fit that you know my heart or my prayer is that I'll continue to look at her not from the lens of you need to be doing the right thing right now but from the lens of I want you to experience the life of Jesus and to know what the truth and the goodness of what he has for you is 
in relationship with him. Um, so I think I, I will just really quick um, look at it. At, I'm sorry we didn't have this for the projection, but um, in Mark 10, um, there's a story that is about a rich young ruler, um, and it's actually, I know some things line up in the Gospels, and some things are, some stories are kind of switched around, but it's right before this story is the story of Jesus blessing the children. Um, but many of you have maybe heard the story of the rich young ruler, where um, he comes up to Jesus and he, sa- he calls him good teacher. And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Um, and I've always thought that was kind of odd because Jesus is good. Why is he telling him not to call him good? Um, but again, that I think what he was doing is he was, um, because what the rich young ruler asked him is how do I inherit eternal life? And so he was giving him the key to eating from the tree of life, to receiving life, is not to weigh people or things based off of good or bad. Um, And so he shares that with him, and then he said, you know the commandments, and then he lists the commandments for the rich young ruler, and... So he says, teacher, I've done all these since I was a boy. Essentially, this, this guy had done all the right things. <laughs> he had accomplished all the right things. He um, went to church on Sunday. He, he was patient. He was kind. He did all the right things. And so then Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that phrase in there because... We don't know exactly what this looked like. We don't know how he loved them, if it was just a look or if it was an embrace, if it was an encounter. But he wanted to let this rich young ruler know that he loved him, that this was about relationship. And then he said, one thing you lack Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So I used to read this verse, and it terrified me, and I hated it. I hated this scripture. I I was like, because I would often feel anxious, like, if I had anything, I needed to give it to the Lord, or I needed to sell everything, and and then I would go through mind loops of, but if I don't have anything, then how can I live? We live in Minnesota. If I just live on the streets, you know, anyways. So, <laughs> so, but what I've come to realize is <clears throat> what Jesus is saying is, I am the only thing, I am the only person that truly gives life that everything you have, everything you've done outside of relationship, outside of that connection of love with me, doesn't give life, doesn't give eternal life. 
And so it wasn't this call for all Christians to sell everything they have. And if God calls you to do that, great. That is wonderful. But I think it's really this drawing into and, and helping you say, one thing you lack, you have everything. You've done everything right. You've done everything good. You have the knowledge of good and evil. But you lack life, that everlasting life, that life that I give, that love, that connection. And so um, Jesus goes on to say, how hard is it for a rich to enter the kingdom of God? Again, I used to read that as like, oh, well, I guess we have to all be poor. But I think what he's really trying to communicate here again is it's, it's impossible to live your life believing that the life, the everlasting life and fullness that you receive is from what you have or what you do. And what that is, is it's so freeing when Jesus comes and says, I am that everlasting life. I am the life that breathes into those things in your life. I am the life that breathes into your relationships, into your home, into the things you own, into the things you do. And when we're able to receive that life, nothing is impossible with God. Because that's what Jesus then later says in Mark 10 when people said, well, if it's impossible for a rich man to enter, inherit the kingdom of heaven, how, are, how is anyone going to be saved? And he says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And what he's inviting them into is saying, look, stop trying. Stop earning. Stop becoming what you think you need to be, and just receive. Receive from me that life, and that's going to be what is impo or the possible, the impossible made possible through God. So do you want to close us in prayer? All right. Hmm. So Father, we just lift ourselves up to you as a as a people, as a community, as individuals, as families, um, that in our spaces that we're living in, that we um, we just come to you in all in all aspects, and that we lay ourselves out honestly and openly to listen to your wisdom, to your goodness, and be filled with your spirit of life. Um, that we don't get caught up so much in the rat race of life and, and restricting ourselves and, and feeling boxed in by the life that we lived. Instead, to be full with you, to receive and open our hand to what you have to give us and to feel that fullness and the freedom that is in you, Jesus. The true freedom of running uh, with the, the God of the universe and seeing him open, you open up the world to us in a bigger and brighter and more beautiful way. And that can be just in our own homes, in our own places of business, in our own church, Jesus. We thank you that you are here and you are with us and you are causing us to grow like a garden, causing us to grow and become something wonderful and full of that good fruit of life 
that we can become little trees of life everywhere we go, that when people eat off of us, we pray that what would be, they would be tasting is that fruit of life. So in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. And so, like was uh, announced earlier, we do have a wonderful meal today, I believe. Um, so you're welcome to stay with us, to fellowship with us, to eat with us. Um, and so you are dismissed. If you need prayer, please come up. There'll be people to pray with you. And have a wonderful week. Love all of you. Bless you. Thank <laughs> you.